This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneur's The Playbook, and I am so excited to have Peter Fagan here with me. He's the president of the incredible Milwaukee Bucks and Five Serve Forum, the other forum now up in Milwaukee. Welcome to The Playbook. Thanks for having me, David. So I love having front office executives uh, on The Playbook because so many people want to be professional athletes, but they end up being front office executives, the ones that may not be as talented on the field, but they have actually more influence and more impact on the community, uh, which is, believe it or not, a lot of the reason people want to play on the field is to impact their community. They have a bigger vision of their skill sets. I was wondering if you have that type of vision, the amount of impact that you have being the president of the team and of the forum, the amount of impact that you're having on your community. Yeah, I would tell you it, it, it's it, it's so proportional in a city like Milwaukee. So we've got this platform, this amazing platform of professional sports, and we can actually affect change. I mean, we we you know, for instance, do voters registrations. You know, at Pfizer yeah. Forum, that registers tens of thousands of voters to to come in. We do recidivism projects. You know, that that affects and employs literally dozens of people in it. And then by example, whether it's healthcare, literacy or anything, we have a platform that's that's so visual, so engaged, like in a small community that really can make a difference and set the example. So I would have told you nine, 10 years ago when I started this job, yeah, I'm really interested in growing the top line and the, you know, where's our net? How do we really create like a fan base? But what this has become is, is really the fabric of the community in such a big way. It's part of our brand. It's part of our culture. Yeah, and that culture also is involved in winning and losing. Uh, and I know by working with the Cavaliers, the impact, the impact culturally that it had on Cleveland uh, when they took all types of polls of how people felt optimistic in the businesses, it actually changed by having a winning team. Obviously, you've had great success, especially recently. Have you seen the winning also carry over into the culture of the community? Yeah, so I always think of it as an accelerant, you know, like you prepare to win. So you literally build the infrastructure, you build the plumbing, and then what you really want to be able to do is catapult way beyond your expectations when you do win, because that's what pro sports does in a big way. You know, everybody talks about Giannis in Milwaukee. Well, Giannis took a few years to build up to Giannis before he was built up, but we certainly kind of saw it coming on the horizon. So how do you think of, like, that fan funnel globally and nationally and regionally versus – locally, regionally. So, so like a good example of, of what winning does. And, and winning obviously brings that affinity, you know, of the fan to you so quickly. And we have so many entrepreneurs that watch and listen to the playbook. And they always wonder, how do you get to where you are? And people ask me that, whether it was when I was at Lee Steinberg's or working with Warren Moon or even on the podcast now and all the different things I'm doing, they'll say, well, how do you get there? And I always say, if I had to connect the dots backwards, I know two things. One, I wouldn't believe the journey. And two, I'm not sure I would take it because it seems as I look back way too hard, somehow I made it through. You don't get to where you are without the struggles, the challenges. Uh, but do you see a direct connect from what you wanted to do when you were young compared to where you are today? And two, does it seem bigger and harder than it actually was looking backwards? 
the whole journey surreal. So, you know, I kind of pinch myself. I know how lucky I am. There aren't, there are 30 of these jobs, Crazy. you know, in the NBA. I love the NBA kind of growing up. I worked at Madison Square Garden earlier in my career. But again, the journey is, you know, much like I've kind of read some of your pieces, like collecting people, getting best practices, learn from people that have done it like well before. I mean, those are all unbelievable kind of simple examples of like how entrepreneurs who are kind of going into things fresh and thinking about it like this is not like you should not be on an island. You should not be helpless. You, you need to think of your resources. And I kind of go through life collecting people and collecting best practices and, and, and really surrounding myself with much smarter people around me. And two things that I teach and I look on your career and I know that you subscribe to as well. We were talking about when you were at Marquee Jet and it all clicked into me. And one of the things I think of when I think of you is just this idea of being kind. And I think that's a culture as well in Milwaukee that your certain cities, you know, I'll name them even though I love them. Like Philly, when you think of Philly, you don't think of kind, you know, kind teams. kind. But when I go up to Milwaukee, I think of kindness and I think of Peter Fagan as well, that you put kindness above a lot of other things, including bottom line. Uh, have you always felt that, you know, this is one of the key marquees of Peter Fagan just to be kind? Well, I need you to talk to my mom you know, because <laughs> she thinks I'm a little too mean spirited. Really? She asked me to be a little more generous spirited. But but I think, listen, the baseline is this is a business in an industry where like it is servant leadership like 101. Like yes. we are literally in the hospitality business. We are literally in the entertainment business. I always talk to people when we're interviewing them and kind of the DNA. If you don't get that, if it doesn't get you like excited to help people out, to solve problems, to to literally pick up trash that's in front of you. It sounds so simple and stupid, but it's true. I mean, that's our business. And then that's also take it to the Midwest, to a city like Milwaukee, where people are kind, you know, and people, I always give a quick anecdote of when I first got to Milwaukee from New York, a, a really fast talking sales guy in Milwaukee, I met with 99 people. I made a list of 99 people to meet with. And I was tell you, no joke, maybe 75 of them after we met said, hey, listen, take my number. Here's what, if you need anything, call me, let me help you to do it. And by the way, in a town like Milwaukee, you actually see these people the next day and they meant it, you know, so right. that set the baseline of kind of the culture of like what the environment's like. I mean, it's this, it's a community that really wants to help you, which was much different than kind of growing up in New York and kind of co corporate culture. And speaking of help, uh, one of the things I look back on my own career, I wish somebody would have instilled in me was more humility about asking for help. I was surrounded by these extraordinary people and I never took advantage of it and received help, even though in Ohio, for example, a lot of those people that would like, hey, you know, I own this team, come and work for me or do, and I always felt bad about receiving help. Um, even in the position that you're in today, how important is it to actually not only ask for help in humility, but feel good about receiving it? Yeah, I would say um, I have... I have professionally stolen everybody's homework that I possibly can yeah. and kind of like embrace everybody I can to, to kind of get the best practices. I'm glad you don't have other team presidents because they would say, this this guy, this guy's like, yeah, of course we like it. Like, I'll ask Al Guido. But, but, yeah, Al, yeah, but, but, but Al's is another great example sharing, you know, like, listen, we compete with each other off the field. Locally and regionally, we do not compete with each other. Like, how do I run, like, the best-of-class arena and concert business and team? Like, 
some people have those answers and they're doing it and, and it's not so tough to share and I'm not encroaching on their business. And I think in the NBA does it really well. The NBA really is like a community of, of executives that collaborate. There's a department within it. To team team marketing and business operations really create it to like to 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 um, really aggregate all the best practices. So, listen, I think you do much better when you collaborate, you share, and and certainly you know your weaknesses. Well, we talked about culture and community. There's one thing I really want to explore from the expertise of a front office executive of such a thriving team and facility, and it's content. You and I are a little bit older when it comes to the content game. We were around in the traditional world of even radio being huge uh, in sports. Um, content has changed, and it has provided a huge total addressable community as you have stars like Giannis that are worldwide that you could have Bucks fans that are literally, you know, all parts of the world, the smallest islands in Greece. I went to Rhodes and Spetses and, you know, there they are with more jerseys than they have in New York. Uh, you know, how are you strategizing about the content that's created, not only about the team, but you talked about it at the forum. You have everything going on there and you have the whole 7.6 billion people that are total addressable community members. Every day, every minute. I mean, assume that less than 1% of every Bucks fan will actually get to Pfizer Forum to see a game. You know, so if that makes you think about how do you address fans, how do they consume, how do they digest it, and we both have kids the same age, they, they'd rather watch on their phone than watch on the TV in their room. You know, to get it, it's insane, you know, what has changed. Our largest growing department probably in a year will be the largest is our production department, which, by the way, is not producing you know, miniseries. They're right, producing right, like short form, like five they and 10 dances. seconds, right? Like how do we monetize like social media in a big way? And then you, you, you kind of segue to the best part of the question is what's beyond basketball? Like what's beyond, like what's the lifestyle? What's really kind of like, how do we get within the fabric of that fan's life? And we're kind of constantly figuring out, you know, in sports, it's so cool because you have all these different demographics. Like we want to go to a game or watch it on TV. Well, like, our kids do not. And the kids that are younger than that, you know, the alphas are like sitting there saying like, you know, I want it, you know, in even less than five seconds to to get it done. So how do we play with that in a live event, in a production event and and kind of do it? And I think we're, we're constantly learning and pivoting on that. It's interesting when I ran Lee Steinberg, who notably they, you know, Cameron Crowe followed him around and they made the movie Jerry Maguire about Lee and the firm. But I found it interesting because when I went to work with Lee, he taught me a valuable lesson about sports. And it was through the movie Jerry Maguire. He said, you know, I told him, Jerry Maguire is one of my favorite sports films. I love Rudy and Hoosiers, of course, not just because I'm in Indiana and Pizzo's a good friend of mine, but I actually, that moved me as a frustrated, underperforming uh, Division Three football player. I loved Rudy especially. But he said, David, Jerry Maguire is not a sports film. It's a love story. That's why everyone loves it. That's why it still is played so many times because it used the backdrop of sports to attract all these people. And as I was watching the Super Bowl again in NFL season, I thought no one has played the backdrop of sports like the NFL by bringing in Taylor Swift. And when you are president of a team and you have a, a stage, as Shakespeare said, your forum, the whole world is your stage now. Um, have you seen that crossover demographic by utilizing a mix of 
athletes, celebrities, entertainers, billionaires, shark tankers uh, there to perform to different audiences that you never would reach before. Yeah, I mean, early in my career, I thought Madison Square Garden and the Knicks did it really well in Celebrity Row. You right, know, like how Lakers to too, take right? that in the Lakers too, which made such sense in the in the kind of the entertainment, you know, in capital. But, you know, we've taken that and have even more of an effect. Like I always say, you know, the best thing about the NBA Finals, when you hit it, it's not just that you can win a championship. The whole world and the sports world and the entertainment world is literally glued on, like, you for two weeks. So how do you, like, amass, you know, that kind of rent? So, like, whether you've got Dave Chappelle, you know, coming or Sheryl Crow, or to, it, it literally transcends and kind of grows that audience, like, way beyond. Because, like, the real goal is how do we get the casual fan, right? Like, how do we build our audience and get, get the casual fan to become, like, in best case, a rabid fan, but in some cases, like, you know, at least, like, engaged with us in a big way. So it's all part of it, and that's directionally where things are going. Like, basketball is much bigger than basketball. Right. Yeah, I mean, these guys are selling billions of dollars of fashion. These guys are making music. These guys are literally, their voices themselves are following hundreds of millions of social followers. So, you know, the power of, of the voice of the players and the sport itself have, have just gotten incredible. One of the other things I'm interested in is a lot of people, when they get to a higher level of responsibility and accountability, they start feeling overwhelmed, especially today because of technology. There's so many options, opportunities, touches of favor when you're one of 30 uh, or in any other front office position. So I always like to get advice on prioritization. I believe prioritization is the antidote to feeling overwhelmed. And I haven't met one, you know, I'm really close friends with Tannenbaum, <coughs> went to law school with me, and he would, when we were younger, talk to me about, you know, hey, can you give me some help on organizing time? And how do you get everything done, David? And, you know, you must be overwhelmed with opportunity. How do you prioritize all the different blessings that have been given to you? Yeah, well, all different for different people. I don't like to shut off, you know, so it's it's fun me for neither. me to be kind of on <laughs> and, and kind of responding at all Seven times. Days I like week. people that love that as well. But, you know, listen, like you take the general, you know, like my family takes priority over anything, anytime, which is very easy. And then, like, for the business, it's really kind of about, like, what's constant improvement and growth for the business. And, and, and that usually is like a time, your biggest time suck is people, you know, and how do you keep that, you know, kind of in a, a great process driven, you know, people need time, people need to collaborate and do it, but it can be, it could be the end of you if you don't control it in a real way. So I literally have like a time management where, you know, I kind of spend 60% of my time really with people, you know, kind of on one-on-ones, on kind of growth and everything. And then the other 40% on like the future and what's happening. And at the core, I'm a, I'm a sales and marketing guy. So I love to like think about what's next. What are we leveraging? How can we sell? Where's the, where's the money coming? So generally that gets me like, I want to be on the road. I want to be like in the pitch. I want to be talking to our customers. So I might be a little bit different than that to, to some people. I love that. And, you know, having a facility as well um, has changed a lot. And I see the demand for live increasing. And I know that's from afar. I'm not dug in deep every day. And I see the demand for in-person, whether it's utilizing uh, big events or even micro events that are utilized at facilities. Now we were talking about the great studio that you have uh, there at the forum as, as well. 
Where do you see in the future, do you see an increased demand for live events, or do you see people falling away and wanting to utilize virtual experiences uh, and AI and other things afar? Uh, do you see an increase in live? No, the experiential is where I put all my money going forward. Like, there is no question that, you know, it's getting further and far between, you know, those kind of experiences. So we're about to break ground with Live Nation on a, on a 4,100-person general admission building for those smaller concerts. So, I mean, yeah. we're like... Or Dave Meltzer speeches. Yeah, Dave Meltzer speeches. Exactly. Well, they'd have to be bigger. You'd have to use the, oh, you'd have to you. use the forum. Yeah, I did. Got, we Dave wouldn't want to undersell you. Well, I you have know, Dane Cook there. He could yeah, carry, carry the ticket sales. But, you know, those are the experience... Those are, those are, like, kind of directionally where it's going. I mean, if you had kind of said that we'd have... 150 live events in Milwaukee, you know, six or seven years ago, people would said, you're crazy, Insane. you know, yeah. we'll be the busiest Midwestern arena, you know, in, in the country, which is like, you know, testament to like, there's a demand, you know, and there's an audience. And I do think it's going to continue to I'm beyond bullish on live entertainment. Well, by the size and scale of the ticket prices, I think you're, from my experience, you're definitely right. You're saying there's room for growth. Oh, is yeah. Is that what you mean by the yeah, size Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. Oh, there's. Yeah. A ton of demand, and I think as more people experience fake, they're going to want the experience of real, and there is nothing like, you know, we do these dinners, which I'll invite you to, but last night we had, you know, Dom Wilkins, Wilkins there, we had Meta, and a few other, it, it was so exciting for me, because it was an intimate dinner where, you know, there's a 45-year-old man going, I never thought that I'd be having dinner with Meta World Peace. Right, and it still means something, and they can see them on every video. Well, it's, it's the moment, it's the connection. It's it, it is like you can't beat out the experiential. I love the fact when I started in sports, it was Lee taught me the irrationality of middle aged men. Now it's just the irrationality of everyone <laughs> that they'll pay four grand for a Taylor Swift ticket or a thousand dollars for a signed baseball. It doesn't matter what it is, it is that experience, and how we capture that, amplify it, perpetuate it, uh, is exceptionally important today, but also how we now can modify it for all different platforms. So it's one thing to watch the live event, but that can keep regurgitating itself thousands of different times to millions of different people. Building a brand, understanding the essence of the skills, the knowledge, and the desire. One of the best front office executives that I know, we share a lot of great interests together, including a really good deli, uh, which I'm going to send them to here in Indianapolis. A shout out to Shapiro's, my favorite deli. Peter Fagan, I owe you a sandwich. Thank you for joining me on the playbook. Thanks, pleasure. <laughs> awesome.